So, um, hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the Footline Social Podcast. We've got Mike Miley, the drummer from the awesome Rival Sons, talking to us all the way from Nashville, where they are recording them their new album. So, rather than starting off on the album, because um, that was kind of expected news, we knew that you were going to be doing that. New record label. So, Sacred Tongue Recordings, how did that come about? Um, cool. First of all, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, as we just discussed, this is the first time you're hearing me with you guys. But um, so uh, it's really, it's, I'm thankful to be here. So uh, regarding Sacred Tongue Recordings, this is our first uh, endeavor at, you know, releasing our old material as our own label. And so um, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to, to, you know, first and foremost with us, it was, it was about our art form and our, our, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, the artistic license or the, you know, our, uh, our copyright, so to speak, you know, we uh, own all our masters and stuff, um, on all our old stuff. So we figured it, um, to be appropriate to, to um wait till a good time to release that and we felt that this was the best time to do it and um it's been a it's been a fun ride you know we're 12 years into being abandoned and uh <laughs> um <clears throat> it's a uh, very fulfilling to finally be able to 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 release these properly so as it stands it's just the rolling stone cp and the before the fire that's that's the bits that you've got the masters for am i right in saying that um the the rolling stones what sorry, sorry you wrote so so the the rival sun's ep so that like the first oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah. First, so yeah because obviously so that's the, got sacred tongue on it hasn't it hence the name i imagine yeah yeah so um the ep and before the fire were our first two uh endeavors um you know, before the fire was, um, our very, very first thing. And we had it recorded before. And then Jay laid out on some vocals, um, after we had it recorded. And so the EP is technically like our first thing we did together as a band, um, collectively writing together and in the room together and, um, sweating and bleeding and crying <laughs> together. So the, the EP has a little bit of a, a different kind of musculature. <laughs> so I, that, that is possibly, I, I'm almost changing my mind as things have gone on, but I absolutely love that bit to, uh, I love the EP to pieces. So I'm really pleased that you guys have got that sort of, you know, in the family now it's all yours. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and that one was always ours. So, um, um, you know, maybe if there's younger musicians out there listening, um, we we decided to um i mean if you go with a major label it's probably not going to happen but uh we did we took a more independent route um with the beginning of our career and um we we uh decided we wanted to own our our masters we wanted to own our publishing um and you know our merchandise like everything we wanted we wanted to be business owners and um and that that was really important to us because you know record labels will uh th that's one of the first things <laughs> to go in a contract is they'll, they're going to own your your masters which means they're going to own the recording itself um and so you know there's there's ways around that obviously like re-recording a song but it's you know <laughs> um it, it's it seldom happens so um we we owned our we own our masters we own pressure and time we own great western valkyrie hollow bones and um and then those first two as well oh and head down and uh so we have six albums that will be slowly um dripping out <laughs> um with um re-released wow, uh, re yeah re-releases and stuff and so as of now we're we're focusing on before the fire and the ep so stay tuned because the next one <laughs> that will be coming out is <laughs> It, it's going to be um, uh, the 10th anniversary coming up very soon for our third album. 
So, um, well, technically a lot of people don't count the EP, which I find fascinating being that it's, it's the exact length of pressure and time. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's about 30 minutes, pressure and times, uh, 30 minutes. The EP has six songs, the pressure or five songs or six songs. Fuck. I forgot. Um, I think it's six off the top of my head. I think it's six. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I just play drums, man. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Pressure and Time is about 30 minutes long, too, and that has 10 or 11 songs on it. So, <clears throat> it's crazy, yeah, because until you'd said that, I wouldn't have put that, I wouldn't have put that in the same, I wouldn't have realized that they were both the same length. So, that is kind of crazy. But it, like you say, it is kind of annoying when they people decide what's canon and what isn't and what they're going to count <laughs> and what they're not. And as you say, like that was what you guys, that was the first thing you guys wrote together. So, you'd be like, well, hang on, why not? Why wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in the the you know the recent modern vernacular of bands releasing stuff, an EP was sort of a you know an appetizer. It wasn't considered the main course, right? So, I think that's kind of what people have just rested on that kind of old uh, laurel, if you will. The 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 e that EP is not a real release, so uh, could be our own doing our own our own fault in getting that but you know whatever it is uh, whether it's an ep or an lp it's um it, it's our our first main thing that we did together uh as a band writing together and so so yeah so how does how does the new one feel um uh, how close are you to the end now <laughs> with like every rival sons recording you never know until until the 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 child has been given birth so <laughs> it's like you know it's uh if, if i could relate to um giving birth it would be uh making a record with rival sons so um so yeah it's at this point we have tons of good stuff down and i'm really excited uh, a lot of a lot of exciting things have have, have transpired we we never um are repeating ourselves, but you're not going to hear, uh, like, you know, God love ACDC. They, they have a formula that works for them. And a lot of the songs will have a similar formula, so to speak. And we, we kind of don't follow that pattern. So you every album is going to have different feels and grooves. And as a drummer, it's really fun for me because I'm, uh, hardly ever repeating myself, you know, and I get to draw from different wells and we all do, you know, as musicians and stuff. And so, you know, and everybody takes their musicianship um, somewhat seriously. <laughs> and so this one has a, a lot of new goodies. Um, you know, we're, we're not a, a band that's just going to serve meat and potatoes and gravy. And that's it. That's all you get every night. So we, we, uh, we change up the ingredients in the kitchen <laughs> every, every album. You know what I mean? I'm kind of glad that we've moved out of the birthing suite and into the kitchen. That's probably a, a safer realm. To be <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Do you find it weird that like, I find it strange that your albums, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to start disagreeing with you this early, but like, I agree that your albums are different each time, but yet you follow the same pattern in the sense of it's, you work with Dave Cobb and you, you're down in Nashville. Um, oh yeah. Does that feel like yeah, the okay. new home for the band now? Yeah. So it's, it's, it seems as though, you know, we all are familiar with the Beatles and George Martin was kind of like the fifth Beatle, right? And and we look at all those records and, and me as somebody who followed the Beatles from front to back and watched that whole career transpire from the Hamburg days before they were signed to, you know, to the end, they were working with George Martin and George Martin was a was an extremely skilled and talented producer and, and arranger, um, musician. You know, he, 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 to me is, is, I mean, yes, Lennon and McCartney are the greatest songwriters of all time. This, that's Beatles are my favorite band of all time. Um, but they, you, one wonders what they would be without George Martin. He had a way of working with those guys pulling out the, the best in them, probably choosing. I mean, John and Paul wrote a song a day for like five years in a row or something, you know, before they, before they got signed and were at EMI. So I'm sure they had a, a trove of songs that they were 
having to sift through. And these guys, Jay and Scott are writing, uh, have been writing all through the COVID lockdown. And so there was a lot of ideas to sift through. Right. And so uh, you need a great producer to, to sort of um, be the decision maker, be the yes man and the no man. And, and sometimes that's a tough job. And uh, we've, we've found that particular formula uh, you know, rival sons are four alpha males, right? So you need, you need, a, you need a decision maker to come, to come in and, and say, yeah, that's cool. Do that again. Do that three times, you know, Miley do play something like Keith Moon right there, you know? And so, um, he, he, he lets me off the leash all the time and I love it. It's a drummer. So that formula, yes, 100%, uh, works for us. We feel that that's the, um, that's the way we're going to, we're going to, you know, our art is going to reach its peak is through these, these elements. Right. And so musically note choice, you know, grooves, tempos, and all these things are so subjective that we, that's the part I'm talking about. That's um, saying we're not repeating ourselves or formulaic is, is, um, you know, Jay's constantly trying to push the boundaries Um uh, and, you know, of course we want those, those three minute bangers, you know, like, uh, electric man and, you know, these, these songs, pressure and time, uh, keep on swinging, you know, the ones that'll, um, play on the radio and make people bang their heads. But we also have songs like soul in all directions and Jordan and, uh, where I've been. And we have, a, there's a deeper, slower, uh, side to the band as well. And, and an exploratory side of the band like Manifest Destiny and and um, Fade Out, you know, and uh, All Directions again. These, these songs allow us and Feral Roots. Feral Roots turned into a nine or ten minute jam when we would play it live, you know. And um, we give ourselves those little moments where there's license. So, Do you think that's why it works so well that you kind of allow yourselves that sort of room to expand? And that you've got this element of that you kind of Jay's not um, Jay's not like a front man of a rock band. Like he could sing soul and like you could play jazz drums and this sort of thing that you could all go off in different directions, but it's just allowing yourselves that space to do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an extreme diverse um, uh, list of ingredients, you know, like, you, I mean, you can take meat and potatoes and do a million things with it, right? So, um, um, or, you know, the way I grew up, love my mom, but it was, you know, chicken breast and baked potato and like butter on the side. That's what I got <laughs> growing up. There was no special sauce or, you know, add extra garlic here and there and, you know, or uh, very meat and potatoes, uh, my upbringing. So, I, I love diversity and, and explore exploration and, and um, you know, cause sometimes you, you make something and you put too much salt in it. It's like, eh, you know, and then sometimes you do it perfectly. And, um, and, and that's the beauty of, of creating and cooking and like, you know, I'll stay on the kitchen analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's clean. Up. <laughs> yeah. So when you say, uh, so I've, I obviously, you know, I'm not going to come across in any other way other than like a fan of the band and everything else. Um, but I did read something uh, the other day that I'd not been really aware of. Um, and you kind of mentioned the meat and potatoes reference when that was brought up in the interview. So I'm going to just say that you were nearly in Maroon 5. And if it, if it oh. hadn't have been like for studio scheduling, you'd have had a chance to, to audition with oh, those cool. guys. Is that, have I read that right? Uh, you heard you, that's it funny you heard that story um yeah so i um james valentine we had jammed at this uh jazz club that we used to do on sunday nights called the kids cotton club and uh, joe firstman he's from the uh, cordobas he's in nashville and uh danny masterson those two through this club they were the promoters of this uh club night and it was called the kids cotton club and we used to do jazz improvisation and it was um like a black tie uh, sort of affair. You had to dress up. You had, you had to wear a tie. Everyone dressed up. It was a really cool thing. We did it for like five years. And anyway, James Valentine was, he would come and sit in and we played together a bunch. And, uh, 
there's another artist, singer, songwriter named Josh Kelly. And I was in the studio with him and uh, he was on, I forgot the label uh, at the top of my head right now. So Josh Kelly, three or four albums. I played on three or four of his albums over the years. And, and we were in the studio with, um, uh, making a record for him. And James calls me and he's like, he's like, yo, we're at swing house uh, doing a writing session. And our drummers got, you know, tendonitis or whatever. It's like he, that guy eventually quit, right? Because of his wrists and his tendonitis and the stress of being on the road. And <clears throat> I was in the middle of a session. We were supposed to do three songs this day. And, and I'm like, I think I'm going to be out of here by like five or 6 PM. And he's like, he's like, Oh, we're booked, you know, two to six or something. And, and, uh, I was just like, Oh man, I go, what about tomorrow? And he's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're flying to da 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 da. I'm like, the, the, sometimes the window of opportunity comes in your life and it's just, it's that quick and it's that easy for it to, to pass. And, you know, who knows, you know, if I would have gone there down there, um, I think Matt Flynn or Mike Flynn, sorry. Um, the third current drummer, great drummer, great guy. He used to play with, uh, Gavin, uh, I forgot singer songwriter's name. Um, but we met out there on the road. He's a great drummer. So, I mean, you know, fate, call it what you will, but uh, I missed the opportunity. Let's just say that. Um, but uh, the opportunity to just join a writing session, that's all they were doing. They were writing for their next album. And and that was way back um, after, after that first album, that huge one that put them on the map. So so it was a, it was a time that I think I could have persuaded them to dig my drumming, but you know, fate has its way. Right. And here I am in one of the greatest rock bands on planet earth. So <laughs> exactly. I mean, would, would you trade that for doing the Super Bowl halftime show? I mean, um, well, sometimes, sometimes, you know, you, <laughs> you look at your, uh, your, your bank account balance and I'm sure I, I would probably add a couple zeros um, yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if I was in that band. But, you know, so, sometimes it's not all about the money. Money does, um, doesn't buy you happiness, but it, it, does, it does remove obstacles that make you unhappy. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that there was a quote from a therapist that was like, nobody unhappy that I've ever spoken to happened to be rich. Like it just didn't work that way. But um Yeah. But yeah, so speaking so speaking of obviously bands sort of like Maroon Five and stuff like that, um obviously different vibe entirely uh to Rival Sons, but who was the who's the your favorite band to tour with? So whether it was a band that you've supported, obviously you mentioned A C D C already. Um, but like also even just the guys that you got to support you when you've gone out. Uh, oh, um, like opening bands? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I remember like, a few even now from gigs that, that I've seen of yours, but like, you know, who... Gravel who's... Tones. Gravel Tones, 100% off the top of my head. Uh, uh, they're my mates, my my bros. Uh, Mikey Sorbello on drums. One of my one of my brothers from another mother. I'm so love... glad you said those two. So, <laughs> so glad you said those two. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah yeah, Jimmy and Mike are, are just superb human beings and musicians, and um, we loved having them out with us. And, um, you know, for as far as groups that we've opened for, I've got to just, because I'm a music school nerd um, in, my, in, my, in my bones, right? I'm a, um, a jazz and classical, classically trained um, percussionist and um, grew up with rock and roll and Steely Dan and Led Zeppelin and, you know, all that stuff, but I also appreciate um you know Rachmaninoff Beethoven Mozart and and Miles Davis and Duke Ellington and Art Blakey and Roy Haynes and Tony Williams and <laughs> John Coltrane and so I mean I'm all over the map with with uh what I like and so when we went out with Deep Purple they're they're all a bunch of music nerds <laughs> so they would they would invite us to their dressing room and and uh they always had a nice little catering spread in there and um, eat some little, you know, some little of those little sausages and, and have, a, um, have some rum or some whiskey and, and just chat with Steve Morse and Ian Pace about, um, big bands, you know, in the fifties, <laughs> just so, so nerdy, you know, backstage, you, you think of all these, um, wild rock and roll stories. And here we are back there talking about like sheet music and stuff. <laughs> 
Well, the thing is, you, you've obviously, because you went and studied it, didn't you? You were a properly trained musician, so to speak. So what was your plan coming out of college? Was it was it, was it going to be going? Was it always the plan to be in a rock band or was it going to sort of take you a more academic route? Yeah, you know what? I never once wanted to um, go academic. It was um, my dad early on, he said when he gave me the drum set for my birthday, my ninth birthday, and he was, because I had a big, a keen interest in playing drums. And so he said, hey, as long as you, as long as you, you know, hold up your interest in this, I will support you in whatever you do. And so I held, I held that against him when I turned uh, 18 or 19. And, and, and I was like, dad, I want to go to university. Um, can you, can you help me with my tuition? <laughs> and it's, it's going to be for drumming or percussion. And my, 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 uh, idea was that I was going to have 24 hour access to the practice rooms and just get, get as good as I could because in living in apartments and stuff, I moved out when I was 17. Um, so I was on my own and practicing out there in the world, like living in an apartment and being a drummer is a really tough thing. You got to either have a little studio and that costs money, uh, or, you know, there really is no other way to practice unless you just sit on a, a, a practice pad, but even that can be annoying to neighbors. So I wanted 24 hour access to practice rooms. And my, my goal was to get signed, get a record deal and go on tour before I graduated. And so that never happened. So I ended up, um, doing my senior recital, passing piano proficiency. And, um, I got a degree in, in a bachelor's of, uh, music and, uh, emphasis in percussion at Long Beach state. So California state Long Beach. So, um, that was sort of my, my, my selfish goal behind the scenes, but in the process, I ended up getting very well rounded and, and I got, got turned on to Brazilian music, Latin music, Cuban music, uh, African music, West African music, Central African music, Middle Eastern, um, hand drumming and, um, Indian tabla playing. And, you know, of course, big band jazz, all the Western stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm just a giant nerd because of it now. You mentioned, um, so another thing that I picked up, um, you made it on stage with Santana as well. Yeah. So in the process of, of studying um, Brazilian music in school, uh, I was studying with Chalo Eduardo, who was Sergio Mendez's percussionist for 10 or 15 years. And, and so I was really into Brazilian drumming and percussion and batucada and like the, the carnival music, you know, that went with the carnival. And in the process of doing that, Chalo is knew everybody in the business and he knew Santana and knew Rick, Ricky Martin and the Grateful Dead and all these guys that we ended up sitting in with. And so he would get calls. So I became sort of a, you know, I don't know, a prize student or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm not calling myself that, but, but for some reason he was, he, when he needed to pick four, four drummers to join him on these small little sit-in performances, like with Ricky Martin and Santana, we, uh, he would call me as one of his, one of his sidekicks. And so we, I mean, we did the orange bowl with, with Carlos Santana. We opened up the show, his show, um, where we came out and did this big fat, uh, Brazilian drum groove. And then Carlos's drummers came out and then his bass player came out and they stacked everybody. And then finally Carlos came, was the last guy to come out and the crowd. I remember 50,000 people in the Miami orange bowl just like losing their shit. And so, um, and I was, gosh, I was 20, 22 or 23 years old. And so I just remember looking out at the orange bowl and just going, this is, this is my desk. This is my office. This is my cubicle. <laughs> this is where I belong. So. So that, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's about as far away from office space as you're ever going to get, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Ricky Gervais in the office. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites <laughs> so how did i mean obviously we've talked about the kind of um the kind of stuff that you studied and the kind of stuff that you listen to um what do you listen to now like is, is there anybody that's that you have I mean, we'll talk about <laughs> but like is there anybody that's that's a big thing for you now gosh i'm still listening to steely dan asia and royal scam 
<laughs> I love Steely Dan. Um, but as far as um, new music, gosh, um, I really appreciate. I, I, I'm not in so much into what rock has turned into. Just personally, I like music that has musicianship and um, groove. I love groove and I love funk. Um, and so as far as like rock bands that kind of cross that bridge, I love, I love, um, and I'm, it's not like I put it on every day, but I love Tame Impala. I love uh, Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Um, I love those kind of bands that are really heavy into cool production. Um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is another cool one. Um, as far as rock bands, I, I'm um, I'm not as well versed in rock. Most modern rock is um, is I consider metal. As soon as you remove the blues from rock and roll, you just get rock, modern rock, heavy metal, and of course, there's a lot of that great stuff. I mean, even Black Sabbath was bluesy, so um there's a lot of blues in that old stuff uh so so yeah um uh, as far as modern stuff that's that's what i would i would pull from my um my what i like to listen to now is like really psychedelic um cool trippy production you know well-recorded drums and um trippy sounds <laughs> that's what i'm into do you, do you think it's like um i don't know exactly it's difficult to find, I think it's more difficult to find the kind of music, um, well, that, that I reckon that we're both into, in sort of, you know, the the, the mainstream these days. Um, do you think, do you think that kind of thing will come back? Um, or do, do you think we kind of lost, lost forever kind of thing? <laughs> oh, I don't want to sound black-pilled, but um, the, uh, the state of the music business, I think, is... Uh, I think the Titanic hit the iceberg. So <laughs> I think we should enjoy, enjoy, you know, in the, in the Titanic, you know, the, 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 the little uh, string quartet is still playing as the boat is sinking and people are jumping on lifeboats. <laughs> that's, the, that's where I'm at with it. Um, I do have hope because I do feel like, I, I think um, the internet diluted everything and it's, the internet is great because it did give opportunity to people who wouldn't have that opportunity before. But it also, you know, if you look at, I mean, there's always been politics and music and, and payola and stuff like that. And, um, but there, there did seem to be back in the day, sort of, a, um, for lack of a better word, like a meritocracy, like the best bands were the ones that got signed. The ones with the best songs were the ones that got signed. And, and so the, the record business was sort of the arbiter of, of what was the most talented stuff. And it doesn't mean, I'm sure I'll get backlash from all this, but it doesn't mean that there weren't, weren't other talented people. You know, I'm sure there's a million basketball players that can shoot basketball better than Michael Jordan. Um, nope. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that. So I think that, that the record business has changed dramatically because of that. That was the, that was the thing. They were the arbiter of what was the most talented thing. And, you know, how many Beatles is, are out there? You know, the, I mean, the Beatles were deserved every bit of um, acclaim they got, in my opinion. They, they wrote, John and Paul wrote a song a day, like I was saying, uh, for years. They did the Hamburg um, stint where there was, they were playing seven nights a week, you know, eight hours a day. You know, they, they earned their stripe. You know what I mean? And that's what I mean by meritocracy is like they're on their own merits, their talent, their songwriting ability. If you write 2000 songs, you're going to have some hits in there, you know, and you're, you're when you, and also when you write 2000 songs, you, you're going to get better at songwriting than, you know, person, you know, the other person sitting over there. So um, now you see with like pop music, pop music is being written by a majority of like the um, a majority of pop music is being written by a minority of, of songwriters. And um, so it's becoming uh, um, out, literally algorithmic and they're looking for certain hooks and melodies. And you're starting to hear these melodies repeated and you're like, what is that from? You know? And it's like, Oh, that's from a Katy Perry song, you know? <laughs> and you're like, 
well, why is Ariana Grande singing that same exact thing? <laughs> you know, and it's not to say these, these, these girls aren't talented, man, but, um, you know, for me, it's like, where's the Joni Mitchells and where's the Beatles is where's the, where's the Neil Young's. And, and I think when you have somebody, when you're trying to strive for the top, the top seed, you know, the Michael Jordans and Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James, you know, I, I use sports analogies a lot too. Um, you know, people who, who excel in their, in their crafts in their, in their sports and their art forms, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the greatest of the great, the goats, we call them the goats now, right? The greatest yeah. of all time. And so, um, you know, I don't think we're breeding many goats right now. So, um, I think he's written. Well, my um, my colleague Rob interviewed Lauren Israel, who's a uh, he's he's been a producer for a while. Like he produced um, Jimmy Eat World and um, helped produce the sort of Hey There Delilah by the um, so the White Tees or whatever it is. Um, but it's exactly what he said. His response to to sort of like the modern state of the music industry was basically that people aren't writing enough songs. They're not performing enough songs. Um, and I think that the, the sort of the Spotify, however great it may be, um, it does make this model where all you need to do is come up with one thing, one song, and you get picked up by, I don't know, Drake listens to it and he shares it, or you get put on some playlist. It does seem that that's what it's turned into now, that that's how you become yeah. successful. Yeah, you know, it, it's, and, and yeah, the, you, you could be um, a YouTube sensation you do one cool thing on youtube and and all of a sudden you get 10 million views and it's like um it it, it is a hit hit or miss or like kind of luck of the draw or you know a roulette um with uh, in vegas you know you throw the little ball out there and you're calling out a number and if it hits your number i mean the odds of that happening are you know slim to none and um and so yeah you're a lot of these people are seeking that easy that easy uh i mean we're, we're in a microwave culture i mean let's not kid anybody everybody wants the 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 quick thing i mean just speaking of spotify i will i'm 100 admitting like it's it's way too overwhelming for me i'm too lazy um to go sift through um and i don't have that much time you know time is very precious and valuable to me uh, i'm a father and a husband and and so music to me was always every all of my favorite bands i heard through a friend or a family member and turning me on to something and my or my dad just you know constantly playing something that i hated and now i'm an adult and i love it you know or <laughs> whatever and same with like some some pop songs you 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 hear it all that you hear it on the you hear it on the metro you, you hear it on the in the grocery store you hear it you know um out and about you hear it in the club you hear it at home um, you know, your friend's house would go to a party and you, you're hearing this one song and you're just, I freaking hate this song. And then all of a sudden you, it, it clicks in you and you go, I love that song. <laughs> um, just cause you're hearing it all over the place, you know? Um, but I, I sort of lost my train of thought on that little rant, but <laughs> I think that's it. That it seems to be, so I, I remember the, the, well, make it sound like I lived through it. That's not quite the case, but I always remember that in sort of like the Zeppelin, era there was that almost you know divide between being an album band and being a single band and it seems that the more modern industry is leading towards um singles rather than investing in a full album like i spoke to a local artist and she said that she'd got sort of six singles um six tracks that she'd got down and she, you know and i said well oh is that like an ep and she's like no i'm going to space them out into singles that seems to be just the way it goes these days. Yeah, because everything's um, playlist oriented, and in a, in an interesting way, it's it's it is a kind of full circle thing. Because back in the day, that was what people they released the forty fives, the um, the original little um, seven inch uh, vinyl recordings, right? The the what was it? Um, uh, there's 33 rpms and then there was um the 70 78s yeah 78s yeah. and and um you know elvis and and the supremes and chuck berry fats domino you know um all of those old recordings were a lot of them were done uh via the single 
And so um, you just wanted that one hit on the radio. And that's and then Beatles came along in the 60s and changed that, like uh, that uh, an album was what you were going for. The Beatles were the first to put lyrics in an album. And the Beatles were you know, arguably with um, Sgt. Pepper was sort of an answer to Pet Sounds and from the Beach Boys. So, you know, you, you have this in this era, people were trying to beat, they were competitive. Like Paul McCartney talks about a friendly competition um, they wanted to beat pet sounds with, uh, and that's what Sergeant Pepper was. And so, um, this, this competition for albums and, you know, through the seventies and arguably into the eighties and nineties, uh, you had more of an album driven thing. And then now here we are, it's full circle. We're back into the singles zone. And so I'm not castigating it or promoting it or, you know, it's, it's, it's not either or for me, it's just, it's sort of just a natural flow of stuff we rival sons we want to make great albums and every album is going to have a feeling or a sound or a uh you know what i'm saying uh, from before the fire the ep had down great western valkyrie hollow bones um pressure and time um feral roots they, they all have a, like a little character it's like they're they're our children your children they all have your dna but they all look different and they act different and they stand different and you know they talk different they're different heights and weights and and so um our albums to us i think are sort of like children you know <laughs> I, I won't do childbirth analogy anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah let's uh so you've you've led me absolutely perfectly on to the next point um which is so i kind of asked you this the first time that we spoke um so i've got down the answer that you gave me at the time so i'm just curious what whether it has changed or not but um what is what would you say is your if you had to pick um what would be your favorite album that you've released as a band oh wow um it's funny because we, we we first were speaking about the ep and anytime i put on the ep i go oh, holy cow you know um and one i have to hold on one second I'm really sorry. My phone is like going crazy right now. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm still here. Um, it might be my kids. Um, <laughs> my wife is blowing up my phone right now, but sometimes my kids pick it up <laughs> and they start emojiing me to death. Sorry. Um, yeah, I know the feeling. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I always have a special place in my heart for great Western Valkyrie. And, um, I think it just, it, there's a snap crackle pop to it. There's like a really interesting eclectic array of songs. I think, uh, head, head down. I'm not saying head down is, is one of my favorites. I love head down, head down was sort of an expansion of pressure and time. It was a little bit longer. Uh, we stretched out a little bit and, um, uh, great Western was sort of, I felt like we found a footing, you know, uh, and not in the music business, but just as we, we solidified our, our positioning, like we're not going away, everybody, like we're here to stay. Like we're, I think we're relevant songwriters and creators in, in, in modern rock and roll. And, um, um, so that it has a little special place in my heart and, and it's not because of electric man or because of, or open my eyes or some of the, like the songs that were on the radio, it's more like rich and the poor and bell star. And like, there's these like kind of album tracks, so to speak. Um, the ones that you it laughably, like in my mind, I, I always love Jim Ladd on KLOS in LA because he, he always played the deep tracks and he always played um, full albums on his show on Sunday nights. And uh, you, you can probably find old Jim Ladd recordings, um, not recordings, but he was the DJ in, on KLOS. Um, if you don't know him, look him up. But um, he, would, he would play the deep tracks. He would play the non-singles that you hear on the radio 57,000 times. And um, so, yeah, so Bell Star... Um, rich and the poor, you know, even the secret secret wasn't a single, but it's one of a staples in our live set, you know, and, uh, it has just an eerie, there's an eeriness to that, 
side. I think it wasn't us exploring our dark side, like, like metal and like painful and, and cut my life into pieces. It wasn't like that. It was just more of a, the human, the human condition does have a dark side, you know? And so it's this idea of, of like the, the young boy learning about sex for his first time in the bushes. Like it's just a classic sort of um, archetype, you know? So I really, really, I love it for a lot of, uh, obviously I'm kind of rambling, but um, I love it for all those reasons. Well, you, um, in case you're wondering, you did pass the test. That was the, that was um, the same album that you mentioned last time. So at least that. <laughs> oh, cool. Cool. Well, do, do you feel like you've expect your like you said that you, the the sound was different and like you say kind of explored a darker side almost without you know like getting too heavy um, sound wise. Um, do you feel like you you kind of expanding again now? Because obviously you've you've got keys with Todd, um, and now you've got obviously on Feral Roots, you've got uh, sort of the choir element on Shooting Stars. Do you feel like you? you're expanding your sound now and is that like a natural progression? Yeah. But again, it's, I mean, just like children, it's like you're, you, you make a baby and it's not like you're saying, Hey honey, um, let's, let's make a tall boy who loves basketball and who plays drums and who's gonna, you know, like <laughs> it's just, you, it's, you're throwing it out there and, and um, our albums, they sort of, amalgamate i don't know if that's even a word <laughs> they sort of come together um as these sum total of aggregates right of these just different elements that are coming up on the spot like dave cobb could be driving to the studio and go i had this idea you know scott you had this riff and jay you had that like r&b thing that we didn't think was gonna make it and now we we took scott's like crazy humongous riff and we put it with jay's r&b thing and then all of a sudden we have too bad you know and um you know that's uh that's how too bad came together off feral roots and uh it's one of my favorite songs we ever did because we were sitting there struggling to put this sort of um like if you listen to i know you better than you think i do like it's it's really r&b like you could hear rihanna singing that shit yeah. so um and so, but then you hear bam, bam, ba, 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 bam, ba, bam, da, ba, bam, bam, ba. Like it's got this gigantic riff with this R and B verse, and um, and that came together um, uh, when we finally realized those two uh, ingredients could go together. We uh, the song came together in first or second take. A, a whole band, the whole band recorded it. So um, uh, on the spot, first take second take whatever it was um first take might have been like a false intro like the first time we played it all the way through was the what you hear on the album with jay's scream at the end the whole thing it was just magical so um sometimes those things come together and um i'm off on a tangent so the elements of this this album um again it's 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 not random but it's yet it's it's random for us because I go in the studio. Today is our, our last day on this session. I have no idea what's about to happen. Yesterday I walked in, I uh, had no idea what was going to happen. We'll, 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 we'll be discussing at night. We're all sharing uh, an Airbnb house together in Nashville. And we'll discuss the night before, you know, have a glass of wine or a beer or whatever and, and, and go, Oh yeah, this idea would be cool to do tomorrow. And we get in there and, and then Dave has another idea, Dave Cobb, or, um, you know, it's just so random, but I think you guys are going to, if you're a rival sons fan and you've made it this far, <laughs> you're still with us after eight albums, you know, uh, well, this is our eighth. So if you're still with us, I think this is going to be, um, uh, one, one of your favorites, you know, I've, Having said Great Western Valkyrie, to go back to that other point, um, Feral Roots, I feel like, was a, another landmark for us. Um, it, it, it transcended us to a different level musically, and um, um, it, it was just an, uh, a different, there's a different feeling on that album that um, I think solidified us again as, you know, being relevant in, in you know, rock history, you know? And, um, and it's not cause we had Grammy, Grammy nominations and all that stuff. It was, um, 
there's just something felt different about that one. And I think we, we are, we're going just as deep if not even deeper, because there's a lot of, um, uh, with the COVID lockdowns and everything and the world and this, this bit of madness that we're all living in this, this like, uh, it's, it's like the twilight zone. If you watch those old episodes, I feel like we're living in the twilight zone. And so it's not necessarily a dark album. There's a lot of hope, um, but there's a lot of light and shade and, you know, darkness and light and, you know, technically in physics, um, where there's light, there can't be darkness. So, um, we, I think we balance it out pretty well uh, on this album, but we're definitely, um, going a little bit deeper. So, um, we're scratching that, scratching that itch to go a little bit deeper. So we've pushed ourselves really hard. It's this, this one's, a <laughs> ooh, it's, a it's been, it's been, um, interesting ride to say the least <laughs> i definitely can't wait to hear it um you kind of touched on it there did something i'd been meaning to ask you with um sort of the first time we spoke how difficult is it to to sort of not let the current affairs side of things bleed into it um bleed into you know the writing or the recording because obviously it's a tumultuous time to say the very least with you know like covid and and obviously the political um sort of upheaval with you know trump's exit and all that sort of stuff is it is it an easy thing can you just sort of like close the door and it's gone or does it kind of do you feel like that you bring something in with you we um one of our uh, mo's our modus operandus that from the beginning was we were we decided very early on we were never going to get um political and um it's just politics come and go Whereas, you know, you can look at the Vietnam era, the uh, Vietnam War, um, producing all this great music. But when you listen to Electric Ladyland, you're not thinking of like the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, you know, you're thinking of how great Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell (laughs) play together and Eddie Kramer, you know, producing it. And, you know, um, you know what I'm saying? So, so we've, 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 we've chosen to, to do that, um, not let our art too, too, too much. You know, one could argue uh, shooting stars was a little bit of a nod to, to the, um, the political climate, but um, you know, I have friends on the right and the left and it seemed that shooting stars was, was an anthem that both sides could sing on their own, you know? Mm-hmm. And because from the right, it looks um, super crazy. Like the, the left looks super crazy. And from the left, the right looks super crazy. And it, it's like, and it's objective world, you know, without truth, we're in a post-truth world, like who's right, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. um, so shooting stars sort of, sort of scratched that itch a little bit, but, um, but, uh, yeah, we've chosen to stay, um, out of that. Um, having said that, like I was saying before the, um, we haven't, uh, we haven't hindered from, from anything going a little bit deeper and exploring that kind of, um, dark side of the human condition, you know, and, uh, the idea that we all have that potential for, we all do, we all have a potential for evil and the dark side, you know? And so, you know, if you, if you go deep enough and introspective enough, I mean, most people can't sit in meditation for more than 30 seconds because (laughs) they're facing their, their voices, the voices in our head, man. That's why everyone's so addicted to TV and um, anything from the outside world. It's really hard to go internally and and face that. And that's, you know, that's sort of what gets separates the the, the cream from the crop, right? <laughs> the, yeah. Or the cream of the crop. <laughs> I totally mixed analogies there, um, which I'm which I'm famous for. Uh, I should write. Oh, a book we've been all over, so that's fine. <laughs> we've yeah. been all over the place. I've, you know, or mix, mix, mixed um, colloquialisms. I, I do it all the time in, in a comic way. But um, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that right there. So, how about on tour? Do you are you have you missed it, or are you kind of dreading it, or is it just part of the job now? Um, yes and no. Um, it's uh, having been home. I met my wife on tour, and so we we were joking about this i don't know like a, i don't know five five or six weeks ago we we were kind of laughing uh wow we've never spent this much time together straight <laughs> um because when you know we met on tour uh, that night i left 
um, she, we played Tallinn, Estonia and we met, um, and, and then we kept in touch on Facebook and, uh, and like eventually started Skyping. And then, you know, eventually I, I came back, um, to Tallinn before a European tour after we recorded head down and was spent seven days together, then went on tour. Then, then we hung out for a couple of weeks. Then I went on the summer tour. Then we hung out for a few more weeks. Then I went on a fall tour. Then we got married. You know, it was like, so our whole like, um, uh, existence together was, was five weeks on four weeks off, you know? And so, um, we we figured that since we survived and struggled and, you know, haven't killed each other, <laughs> We're like, we're good to go. We can survive. We can survive anything together. If we can survive uh, this COVID madness and still love each other, it's um, it, it's uh, definitely, you know, one of those uh, meant to happen things, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of people have sort of they've been exposed to that idea of being in each other's pockets constantly without having anywhere to go. So if you if you've made it out the back out of the other side of COVID, then yeah, you can pretty much deal with anything by the sounds of it. Yeah. So is that where you, is that where you base yourself now? Whenever you're not on tour, are you primarily based in Estonia? No, we we we, we straddle uh, California and and Estonia. We do we like to, we like to go there for the summers and then spend the rest of the year in California. So um, California's beautiful, man. I, I love it. I'm born and raised there, and uh, I've I've thought about moving to other places and. Um, you know, we've, we've thought about moving to, uh, Nashville and, um, we're staying in Estonia, raising the kids there. And, uh, so it's, um, as crazy as California is, I, I love the beach and, uh, and the weather. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's one of the, so just because Jay's in Nashville now, isn't he? Is that right? Um, no, he, he just moved back. He just moved no, back. So um so what's so what's up next? We've got the um if I'm getting this the right way around, so there's been limited releases so far from obviously um the EP and before the fire, but they're gonna be coming out properly on the twenty seventh of March. Have I got that right? Um as far as the, the is it no, is it different for the UK than the US? I'm not sure. Um, um I'm uh I'm just a drummer. That's that's this is where I my drummer excuse comes in it comes in handy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the best way. But obviously, we've got so we've got loads of stuff coming from you guys in the sense of we've got all the stuff that's going to be coming out um, in terms of like the back catalog releases and the new album, and then presumably there'll be a tour for the new album coming up soon. Um, yeah, yeah, we're going to. Um, I think no matter if the album's out or not, I think. I mean, let's hear it in the comments or or wherever. Um, you know, hit, hit me up on my own social media, but if you're ready to go see a show, let me know. Uh, we're going to tour. We have a penciled tour. I probably shouldn't say anything. Um, but we have, we do have a penciled tour um, penciled, meaning it's not like an ink. It's not like set in stone yet, but we have one that we're aiming, aiming for in a few months. And just depending on if the world's going to open up, um, yeah. or not, we have to, um, we have to see how everybody's going to handle all their, um, uh, regulations and travel and stuff. So for an American band, for instance, to travel to Europe, like all the, all the hoops we're going to have to jump through to do that. Um, it's not just us, every, every international act that tours the world is going to, it's going to be a new world. That's for sure that we're, um, going to be facing. And so, um, um, you know, my personal belief is let's get on with it. Um, that's just my personal belief. Let's, let's get, let's get going. I, let's party let's um uh, i would go to a show right now no problem with yeah. two thousand people shoulder to shoulder and you know I, I i'm not i don't live my life in fear and um and that that's just the way i think and i think there's a lot of people out there that would come see a show and um you know and then whether you know venues and and promoters and stuff and insurance and all that crap people are gonna you know are you going to be social distanced and have to wear a mask? Um, I'm hoping that, that, that we would just relax a little bit. That's my, just my personal take, but, and, 
so by the end of the year, I'm hoping we get one tour in and hoping to release the, the new album probably top of next year. So, and that, in which case there would be tours to follow that where we actually tour the album. But I think if we played at the end of the year without an album coming out, um, we would just go out and balls out and just jam and make everybody happy. I think, I think touring when, when bands first start touring again, I think it's going to be, the fans aren't going to care if you're on a new album cycle and you know, all that stuff. Cause that's kind of how it's been. You go, you make a record and then you go tour it for yeah. a year and a half, two years. I think if we went out and just played our greatest hits, I think people, our fan base would be like, Oh, fuck, thank God. You know? So yeah, I'll, I'll be front row, center, like no, no issues. I, I wouldn't care. What <laughs> you could, you could literally play, play anything you wanted. Like I wouldn't care. Um, so I think we, <laughs> we do like little podcast versions where it's just um, me and a couple of the other guys that write for the write for the blog, and we just sort of talk things out. And I think all we've talked about is um, desperation for for getting to a show, no matter what. Even if it's yeah. a guy with a half broken amp in a pub with like fifteen people, we don't really care at this stage. I mean, we've <laughs> in the UK we've been given like a tentative date of um in June where everything's all bets are off. Um everything's back to normal, no restrictions, everything's fully lifted. Um yeah. and we're kind of yeah, I mean I work in hospitality, so we're kind of going back properly indoors um in May, but we're kind of opening just outdoors only in April. So it still feels like a long way off before we can kind of do the full show thing. But um, yeah. if you guys yeah. end up coming over in like the, you know, like autumn, winter time, that would be amazing. And we would be there like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Um, we we're, we're definitely ready. We're, we, I know collectively we're ready to, to get out there and rock it. Um, but I do, you know, you asked me earlier, like, um, it, since it, it, I have gotten uh, to be a good home homebody, you know, like I love being home. <laughs> right now, I'm in the studio for ten days uh, in Nashville, away from my wife and kids, and and uh, like I'm saying, my kids are through this whole interview is texting me uh, apple and banana emojis, you know, <laughs> just being crazy kids, and uh, so um, which keep you know keeps a smile on my face, but you know I miss the heck out of them. So going out and touring again, like our, our schedule, it was, you know, over the years has been brutal. So, um, uh, but my heart is restless until I'm out on tour. So. I think, I think you do like to be, to, to do what you do, you have to love the tour life. Otherwise you're going to end up sort of either quitting or backing away from it or just having a miserable time, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, um, you got to love what you do to do this. I always tell the young, um, aspiring musicians, you know, know that you want to do this, man. You know, cause uh, when, you know, when, like I said at the beginning, I, when I was, I was, I was on stage with Carlos Santana and I just felt like I was, I was meant to be there. You know, I have first, I had that opportunity to even be there in the first place. And then second, what, what do you do when you get there to, you, you know, like, do you rise to the occasion or not? Like, do you, does, does the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, put, put these things in, in your, in your path. And do you, do you rise to the occasion and to rise the occasion, you need to put the hours in beforehand to be ready. You have to prepare and, um, and, you know, and take responsibility and take ownership of your self and your actions and, and, um, to be the best that you can so that when that opportunity does arise, do you do you come out a winner? And in, in which case then you can decide, yeah, this is really what I want to do. Um, because you can, you can sit in your room all day and dream and it's where the rubber meets the road, man. Like reality is, reality is a tough, a tough thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I've been doing this a couple of decades now. And so, um, and we're still, you know, we're, we're not like Aerosmith or ACDC. We're not on that pay grade, you know, so we're still, um, we're still working our way up the, up the uh, corporate ladder, if you will. Um, you know, we're like mid, mid-level marketing, you know, in the, in the corporation. So we're, we, we still have a, a few um, stairways to, to get up, to get to the top. So, um, so you have to know, man, you have to be emotionally uh, ready for, for trials and tribulations. 
Definitely. Well, I mean, to be honest, that is, I, I could literally speak to you all day. Um, but I'll let you go and pick up, obviously, the phone and, and ring the kids and see if I'll send them back some apple and banana emojis and stuff. Um, <laughs> no, thank you again for coming on and having a chat with us. It's it's awesome. And I cannot wait for all the new stuff to come out, our album. And then, fingers crossed, if we get to see you in person in the UK before 2021's out, then that would be the best. Um, but thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And, and thanks for everyone who tuned in and even made it this far. If you made it this far, uh, can't wait to see you uh, at our, our next show over there and, or anywhere. Come fly here and see us over here or whatever. You know, we'll, we're all in this together. So we'll, we'll see you soon. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. All right. Cheers.